Well, good morning, church family. It's good to see everyone here this morning for part two of our series titled Breakthrough. And always in this service, look to the camera, welcome those of you watching online, and hopefully someday you will be in this room with us as well. Church family, can we welcome those online because they're part of us, even on the other side of that camera. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And soon three services, and we'll get fired back up doing life again as normal. Well, I'm fired up about this series. I think God's going to move in, absolutely move in incredible ways in you and through you, as long as we go all in with him. And that's the one requirement, is as we follow Jesus, we surrender everything to him. And I think in America today, that's the, maybe one of the issues as Christians, is we hold on to some things. But Jesus is saying, deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. Last week, we talked about this idea here, here, is that your faith determines how much you experience God do in you and through you. We looked at obstacles that the disciples had where Jesus constantly said, because of your lack of faith, or you don't have enough faith for this to happen. In fact, Jesus went into his hometown And it was because of their lack of faith. He's like, I can't do miracles here anymore. And if we want a true breakthrough in our lives, things that are holding us back, things that we feel like, God, there's a wall between us and you. If you really want to see a breakthrough, it's going to be your faith. So this morning, we're going to continue with part two, and we're going to jump in the Newer Testament to the book of Mark chapter 11. And I love actually Mark, I I love all the gospel writers, the good news of Jesus. You have those four guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark is honestly probably my favorite because it's the shortest and I like short stuff. But not only that, uh, man, Mark is fiery. He just gets into what Jesus is doing, the miracles, the healings, the teachings. Man, he just goes after it. If you're a little more heady and like a little more theological dive, the book of John, the gospel of John is, is your thing, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And you get done, you're like, wait, what? Hold on. So if you're more theologically, want to be uh, more thinking, the gospel of John would be right up your alley. But in order for us to get to where we're going to be in the story in Mark chapter 11, I got to set us up. In fact, this is the last week of Jesus's life. He's in a city known as Bethany. And I'm going to show you a picture here shortly where Bethany is. But it's a Tuesday. And Jesus is going to take his disciples and go go into Jerusalem into the temple, which is their church back in the day. The temple is where they did their sacrifices and praises. But they're, they're going to make their way to the temple. And on this Tuesday, Jesus and his 12 disciples, his 12 friends, that he's been showing them how to do ministry, they are making their way to Jerusalem, which is probably only a three and a half, five mile trek from where they're staying. And Jesus sees a fig tree in the distance. He gets to the fig tree because he's hungry, but realizes there are no figs on this fig tree. And what does Jesus do? He curses the fig tree. And it's a little weird because you're like, why would Jesus curse a tree type thing? But there's so much more symbolism there that we don't have time to go into this morning though. And the disciples are there and they see it. And then the disciples and Jesus are going to walk by that. They're probably curious, like, wow, that was a little weird. All right, here we go, Jesus. Continue to follow Jesus into Jerusalem, into the temple. And when Jesus gets to the temple, you know what he sees? He sees oppression all over. 
In fact, Jesus gets so irate in this moment, he has righteous anger, he's gonna go into there and all the money lenders that are there, he's gonna flip over their tables. And you sit there and go, whoa, we haven't seen the side of Jesus. Like, what is he doing in this moment? And what he's doing is, because this is the Passover festival that they're celebrating, pilgrims from all over the ancient world are making their way to Jerusalem to celebrate this festival together. And in order to celebrate the festival, you had to bring some sacrifices. Well, imagine if you were journeying several miles, you're probably not going to carry that pigeon with you or that dove with you. You're going to get to the temple and you're going to be able to buy some things, your sacrifices. And in fact, it was the money changers that are there that are ripping everyone off. They're ripping the pilgrims off. And so Jesus gets upset at that. It's righteous anger. And he flips over the tables. He says, not in my father's house. My father's house is a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. You're ripping people off. And Jesus then does his thing in the temple. And then it's dark when they return back to Bethany. And now it's Wednesday morning. And they're going to make their trip once again from Bethany to the temple in Jerusalem. But in this moment, they're going to walk by that tree that Jesus cursed. And here's what the disciples found. Mark chapter 11, verse 20, reads this way. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. I've titled this this part of the message, uh, episode two, part two, faith that moves mountains. Faith that moves mountains. But before we get into and discover what in the world is really happening, I just, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that it would not be my words this morning, but it would be the Holy Spirit speaking to you, tugging on your heart where you need to be tugged. And so I'm going to ask him, this is not normal, but um, you know, sometimes if you're going to receive something, how do you receive something? Give me, right? <laughs> Someone's got a present. I'm just going to ask as I pray, I'm going to ask if you would take a posture of this, if you're comfortable, as, as an act of receiving, and I want to pray over us, but only if you're comfortable, okay? Um, Heavenly Father, we pray that our hearts would be open to you. We know your word is alive and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It's life-changing. Holy Spirit, would you help us to lose grip of what we're holding tightly to and begin to receive what you have in store for us. Whether it's hard, whether it's easy, whatever it is. Holy Spirit, may it be your word spoken this morning, not mine. I'm an empty vessel, use me. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, what's really interesting about this story is there's so much going on. There's a tremendous amount of things going on. We have Jesus cursing a fig tree. It's a little, little weird, a little out of the normal than what Jesus is doing. 
But what that actually is, it's a prophetic judgment on the temple authority. That's really what it's going to boil down to. Then you have Jesus overturning tables. And then you have the next day, all that transpired, the next day what Jesus is doing is the disciples see that withered tree and says, whoa, like how, how does that happen? And Jesus gives them this random parable about now moving mountains and having faith in God. In fact, I love what Matthew kind of sets this up just um, in, in, a, in a unique way because Matthew, according to his gospel, according to his letter, he was there. Matthew was a tax collector. In fact, if you and I lived in the ancient world, we would not like Matthew at all. They're like the, Matthew would be the IRS on steroids. You would not like them come tax season. Why don't you like Matthew? Because Matthew was one of you. He was a great Jew like you all would have been in the ancient world back in Israel in the first century. The issue is the Roman government has their thumb of oppression on you. And in the middle of that, the Roman government, in order to pay for their empire, what are they doing? They're taxing you out of the wazoo. And so they have to have certain people in certain spots to collect the tax. But Matthew also needs to make money, so he's adding an additional tax to you. So if the Roman government is charging you 50% taxes, which was not out of the norm, by the way, so maybe we ought to be thankful for a 12 or 15% tax, but he's charging you 50% to go to the Roman government, but he wants to make a dime, so he's charging you another 20%. Simple math. That's 70% tax now. And you're upset because you feel like Matthew was one of you and he's a traitor. He has traded who we are for the oppression of the Roman government. And one day, Jesus walked up to Matthew while he was in his tax collecting booth and says, follow me. Because no one is out of the reach of the love of Jesus Christ. No matter how on the outside they are, Jesus says, come and follow me. And Matthew writes about this instance, that Wednesday when they're there. Oh, I love what Matthew says real quick. In, tw in uh, chapter 21, verse 20, it reads this way. When the disciples saw it, referring to that, that tree, that fig tree, they marveled. They marveled. God wants to do miracles and work in your life so the world will marvel at who he is. And you will marvel at what he does in your life. They marveled saying, how did the fig tree wither? Now, I think there's a little tongue-in-cheek here because the disciples know exactly how it withered. Jesus spoke, and the thing withered. A tree that was alive withered. They're not as consumed about, hey, um, how did that happen? Because they know it was Jesus' words. What they want to know is, Jesus, how did you call down the power of heaven down here to earth? in order to make a normal-looking fig tree look like that, like that. How did you do that? And what's interesting is the response that Jesus tells them. It's very simple. Have faith in God. Oh, by the way, you see that mountain? You could tell it to move from here to there. And it feels herky-jerky, like, why are you talking about this mountain all of a sudden when they're wondering, how did this happen? Well, let me explain to you, because what we got to do is we got to go to Israel and understand something. What mountain is he talking about? Is there a mountain nearby? What is happening? So let me show you real quick a picture. You all would be seating or seated, seated in the temple right now on the mount. 
the Temple Mount, you would be seated. This is the Kidron Valley. There's a valley that runs between, this is uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. So there's a valley. You have Jerusalem, you have the Kidron Valley up into the Mount of Olives or, or the Garden of Gethsemane. There it is, right? On the other side of this that you can't see is the city of Bethany. That's where Jesus and the disciples are staying. So on a Tuesday, Jesus and the disciples walked up to the mount, down the mount, found this fig tree somewhere and cursed it, came up to where you all are sitting, overturned the tables. Then they walk back. It's dark. The disciples don't see the tree. It's dark. The next day, Jesus does the same thing. And he's going to stop when the disciples said, whoa, how did you turn that thing? And what's interesting is you look there and go, there's not many mountains in Israel. There's a lot of hills. There's not mountains. Except, here's what's so cool. There's one mount in plain sight of where Jesus and the disciples would have been. And it's this thing right here. That is not a natural mountain. King Herod's on the throne. You know what King Herod did? He had all his slaves and servants haul all that dirt and build that thing. They did not have front-end loaders. They didn't have the big pickup truck. He had his slaves do that for him. Why? Who is he afraid of? Who's this new king on the throne of Israel? Who's the king of kings? I want to know who he is. And guess what he gets to see exactly from here? He's eyeshot to Bethlehem where Jesus was born, and now I have eyeshot into Jerusalem. King Herod's a paranoid man. Here's another beautiful, first of all, time out. Online, stay with us for a moment. Um, hey, my friend, my mentor, um, leads trips to Israel. I contacted him last week. I said, hey, we need to go on a trip. I need to take people from my church to go to Israel because it's life-changing, and it's awesome. And uh, he said, hey, that's awesome. How many people do you think? And I threw him a number. And he says, here's the problem, though. COVID has kind of wrecked havoc on our Israel trips right now which we could probably all understand a little bit. But he said, I don't know if I can get you because I wanted to go next May, not like May 2021. I wanted to go May 22 <laughs> because that allows for you if you want to go to save some money because it ain't cheap. So we could save some money. And then he says, I don't know if I can get you the next year, but I may be able to get you the following year. This is one of the spots you go to. And you get to see exactly where Jesus probably would have made this statement. You see exactly where Bethlehem is, and you can see Jerusalem all from this spot. King Herod was crazy. You know what else King Herod did? He would murder his own wives because he was so paranoid that they slept around and had an affair with him. He murdered his own wives, and then he would call in his servants into his palace because that's what he did. He builds a palace on top of this thing, and he builds a palace, and he brings his servants in and says, where's my wife? And the servant's like, um, excuse me, King Herod, you killed them. No, I didn't. And guess what he would do? He would kill the servant who told him that he killed his wife. He's messed up. When we read, all we read is in the beginning of Jesus' birth, right? We read King Herod. We don't realize how demented and maybe even demonic his mind is. He is so paranoid, he had two or three of his sons murdered because he was so fearful that they would take over his throne. Right? Here's an aerial shot of, of, of the excavation of his thing. Here's what's crazy. I don't think you can see it. Oh, yeah. See this up here? It's crazy. That's a fresh water uh, pool. It is massive. 
It has like floating islands on this pool. And guess who built it? His slaves. And in it, here's another picture. Let's dive into it. This is what's there. And everyone knows when Jesus says, everyone in the ancient know, everyone in the ancient world knows in that moment. When you see that mountain, we know that's not natural. Everyone knows King Herod built this thing. And Jesus is in eye shot, says, you can tell that mountain right there to move from there to here. If King Herod does it, imagine what the size of a mustard seed could do to your faith. But I love what Jesus says in the midst of it. He says, say to this mountain. If you want to write your first note, write this. Supernatural faith speaks. Hang in here for a moment. As a believer, there is spiritual weight to your words. You infuse the power of God with your words, you better watch out. Supernatural things happen. Now, I know in this moment, some of you are getting nervous. Some of you are like, Ryan, you're getting, man, I saw some bad things about like name it, claim it. I am not talking name it and claim it. Please hear me. What I am saying is I think there is power when God's power infuses with your words as a follower of Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit that can do amazing things. Amazing things. And I'm just preaching what the Bible is, is, is saying in this moment. I may not get it and fully understand it myself, but I'm wrestling with it. But I know supernatural faith speaks. I know for some of you, you're dealing with some heavy things in your life. But the problem is you are speaking life into these things instead of really speaking life into who God is. Because he is more powerful than what we face. He is. How many know if you're a parent, if you tell a kid, one of your child, children, if you told them one time, they better listen. Right? If not, that's bad parenting, by the way. You tell them twice, they better really listen. A third time? Uh-oh. How many of you know when God says one thing, we listen? God says two things, you better, you better straighten up a little bit, perk up. God says three things, you really got to pay attention. God's trying to prove a point. Do you know there are three instances where God says, speak to the things that are in front of you? Here, last week we looked at it, and, and you may have missed it. In Luke chapter 17, we looked about, uh, at it in the mulberry tree. Watch this. The Lord answered, if you had faith to his disciples, even as small as a mustard seed, you could, what's this word? You could say to this mulberry tree, say to this thing, may you be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. I love what Jesus isn't saying in these moments. He just, notice he hasn't said anything about prayer yet. He will get to the prayer thing. But he says it's your faith-filled words that can move these things. Prayer will be the catalyst for it. But for some of us, we just need to start speaking these things. A mulberry tree can grow 80 feet tall. Huge, deep root system. And all Jesus sits there, tells his disciples, my goodness, you just got to say to that thing, be uprooted and it would be uprooted. The second time, Jesus just gets off of Mount Hermon where we believe the transfiguration takes place. He gets down and he's immediately a, a father's there because his son has been dealing with seizures. And the, the father comes and says, will you heal my son? I went to your disciples and they couldn't do it. And Jesus kind of rebukes his disciples and then he heals the boy. And then he's got to teach the disciples a lesson. In Matthew chapter 17, he says this, you don't have enough faith. 
Jesus told them, I tell you the truth. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could, what's this one word again? Say to this mountain, remember he just got off of Mount Hermon, where transfiguration, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. It's the second time. If there's something in front of you, speak to it. Speak to it. And I love this one, the one that we looked at. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. It will be done for him. And I know some of us sit there and go, Ryan, I'm a little bothered by this. Hear my heart. How many of you know that the best bothering in life is when the word of God bothers you? Hear me. I'm not bothering you. Jesus is bothering you. These are not Ryan's words. These are the words of Jesus, our Savior. And he's telling us all you have to do is say that thing. I don't get up here on Sunday morning because I think speaking's powerful. I don't. I get up here every Sunday morning because God is powerful. That's why I get up here and speak. That's why I think there are some of us, we are facing so many things that feel like mountains, feel like an 80-foot mulberry tree in front of us, feel like a wall that is in between us and God or us and other relationships. That I, I believe that we have to speak the name of Jesus over. And I love what Jesus says. And when Jesus answered him, look, look at the answer. Remember, they want to know, how did, that, how did that fig tree wither? And Jesus says, have faith in God. It's not faith in faith. It's not faith in you. It's not faith in words. It's faith in who God is. And he's powerful. And I think sometimes we got to come into a room and be reminded of how good and how powerful our creator God is. we got to be reminded of that. But here's the trick. Jesus knows we get tripped up over those things. And notice what he says. Truly I say, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, which we would all love. But here's, here it is. And does not doubt in his heart. I wonder for how many of us actually come in on a Sunday morning and we worship God and we are so into the worship, we're into the God's word and we're like, yes, God's going to move mountains in my life. Like, I believe it and you're on fire. Then Monday morning comes around. And you know what you do? You realize how big the mountain is and the wall that's up, that's been built up that you've been, man, you can't just seem to get through. And you know what you go? You go to your coworkers, you go to friends, you go to family members, and you tell them how big that mountain is. But a day ago, you were sitting there telling your mountain how big your God is. And we begin to doubt what's in our heart. We begin to doubt. We profess one thing, but we think another way. And the issue is the declaration of faith doesn't match the output of our lips. And you know what happens? We say, mountain, you've always been there. These are too big of things in my life. And you know what we do? We move to the mountain and build a condo by it. And we say, well, that's just the way things are going to be. I'm always just going to wrestle with this. I'm, I'm going to wrestle with anger because 
I saw my parent, one of my parents wrestled, and I saw their grandparent, my grandparent wrestle with it. This is who I am. And what are we doing? We're making peace with the mountain. And Jesus says, no, tell that mountain to move from here to there and get out of the way. I think for some of us, we need a holy boldness. You need a holy boldness in your life. I don't put God many times in a very tight spot. He probably laughs at me when I do, but I'm going to tell you a story. We had first Wednesday, a Wednesday or two ago, and my wife was down here with me, and it was one of those moments where like, okay, I know she's crying, but should I be the husband to rescue right now or not? Husbands, you know what I'm talking about, right? We like to fix things. So like, should I fix or should I let her? And guess what I chose? I let her be. I knew she was wrestling with some things and many of you came and prayed over my wife. It was so awesome. That was Wednesday night. Thursday morning came around and it was my quiet time. It's 545 and I'm praying to God. And I wanted an answer from God. But I had faith knowing he would answer it. I had faith in knowing he would answer it. And so I said, God, you know the cry of my wife and the cry of my heart and the cry of our family's heart. I said, today's the day we need an answer, God. Today, now, I need an answer. We need it. And a few hours later, our prayer was answered. I never put God in a, in, a, in a box like that where I said, I need it. I was adamant in that moment. I need it today, God. I had holy boldness in that moment. Today, but I had faith I know you can move this. And I'm okay if you will never let us, whatever option A is, I'm okay, but you gotta change my heart. But you know my heart is option B. But whatever it is, I need that answer today. And he answered it. It was a holy boldness that I just needed to step into and say, I'm going to live out my supernatural faith because my faith speaks. And when I live out my faith infused with the power of God, man, our words have power. It has power. So let me ask you a question this morning. Are your words making plans for the mountain to move? Whoo. I'm preaching this morning, friends. Or do your words that you speak to coworkers, friends, and family just move you to the mountain? Because the writers all throughout Scripture tells us the power of words. Worship team, make your way up. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Instead of planning to move to the mountain, why don't we start speaking life and start speaking what life will be when the mountain moves. Whoo! You better tweet that one. Instaface or gram that thing, whatever. Think about that. Think about that. All we do is we sit here and talk to this thing. What about when this thing you experience breakthrough? How about you start speaking life on the other side of this thing? Because that's what God wants to do in this moment. He wants to break through whatever is holding you back from more of him. 
Here's what another, here's what the NLT version, uh, the New Living Translation says. The tongue can bring death or life. And I love what the message translation, it's a paraphrase, it's not a translation. It's a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson who passed away a year or two or several years ago. And he says this about this verse. Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. I wonder how many of us are going to the things that are in our way. And we're speaking actually life to these things that are getting you the wrong fruit you want. Instead of speaking, this will not have its way in my life anymore. It will not, in the name of Jesus, have its way in me anymore. I think for some of us, you got to give voice to your faith. You got to start speaking holy boldness. And we may not fully understand the whole formula of how it works. And I think that's part of faith. Part of faith is not fully understanding how God does what God does. But it's beautiful when we can enter into that relationship and say, God, I don't need to understand. I just know you can do this. And I'm pleading with you. Because supernatural faith speaks. So let me ask you one last question. What are you asking God to break through in your life? Where you just need to go, God, you know what that one thing is that will make all the difference in the world. And God's saying, have faith in me and tell it to move. If you notice down on the sides, we have two additional walls. And we're going to enter into a time of holy boldness for you. The team's going to sing a song and we're all going to worship together. It's called Great Are You, Lord. Because I really felt like we just need to, we need to really grasp this morning that I am not diminishing anything on this board or anything that's holding you back. I'm not. Please hear me. There's pain and struggle here. That's real. But there are times we have to remind these things my God is bigger and more powerful. Bigger and more powerful. And great are you, Lord. But the two walls on either side have a black table with markers that are on the tables as well as on the floor. But there's hand sanitizer there as well for you. I believe that there is something powerful when we express externally what's wrestling on inside. So we're going to stand there in this song and we're going to worship together just in a moment. But I'm going to ask you for some holy boldness. That you would walk up to these walls and write, what's that thing that you're asking God to break through in your life? And you can see what other, in the first service, what they wrote. Lukewarm faith, depression, anxiety and fear. Some people need a spiritual healing. Others need a physical healing in their life. I'm going to ask you when we worship that there would be a holy boldness that you would come to the wall and say, this is what I'm asking for in this series, God. This is my breakthrough. But I know for some of you, you're excited and you're like, yes, I can't wait to write it. And others of you are like, there is no way Ryan's getting me up there. Let me talk to you for a moment. I understand where you're at. I totally do. 
But is this the moment where God's tugging you for some holy boldness? And maybe you need to sit on it a little more, and that's okay. Because those walls will be up next week. We'll have movement. And the week after that, we'll have movement. And maybe for some of us, we need a week to marinate on it. That's awesome. But these walls are here. Let's be praying. No judgment. Listen, the church is not a place for judgment. Listen to me. We are all forgiven sinners in this room. We've all sinned. We've all sinned. But we all love each other as church family to further our walk with Jesus Christ. To further our walk.